Alrighty, we're going to come together and read the Bible together now. Um, actually, like we believe that, that God actually speaks to us and he speaks to us by his word. These, um, these words we've got together in the Bible is actually God speaking to us and he's got something to say. And so we're going to do uh, two short chunks of um, chapter 2 of 1 John now. So um, from verses 3 to 5 and then from verses 15 to 17. And both of those uh, lots will come up on the screen as well. This is what it says. And by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And then from verse 15 it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Well, hey everyone and welcome. Uh, If you're here and you're new, Hey, nice to have you here. If you're online, hello. Uh, I'm Cam. I'm one of the elders here at City Light. And normally at 4 p.m., but uh, I'm enjoying the good old times of 11 a.m. This is great. Um, with all the mask wearing, I have, um, I've been working on my wink lately to like try and communicate a smile. So I just want to say, like, I welcome the wink uh, today during the sermon. I might regret it midway, but we'll see how we go. <laughs> um, well, today is a, it's a glorious day. The sun is out. Um, so well done for being here or for logging in online. Um, I hope you enjoy this time. Um, and as Jacob said, you've joined us in our second week on this series uh, of Resolve to Love, uh, looking at the letter of 1 John. Um, and at the beginning of this year, we wanted to, uh, as a church, be resolved to changing our thinking or habits that would prevent us from having a joy in Christ in 2021. The idea that whatever happens in 2021 or 2022, or 23 and beyond, that we find rest, comfort, strength, conviction to live for Jesus as his followers, or even to discover him for the first time. And you may have started this year um, out of the black hole of time that is January, um, and you've had your reflection and you've realized that maybe 2020 wasn't your best year spiritually. Maybe the lockdowns and the distance from people physically or emotionally or spiritually has impacted you uh, more than you realized. And perhaps you, you, you might be feeling like you're, you're not living the most authentic Christian life. Uh, well, today we're, we're going to help with that by looking uh, at how to authentically live for the forever. And we do this by being resolved to love God over the world. Then 2021, we might live for him in all things. And so I'm going to pray uh, for God's help with this. So will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that we have this time now to to reflect and hear from you. Lord, help us uh, see ourselves, challenge us and convict us in ways in which we're not living in obedience to you. Help us to see the joy of living a life that loves you first above all things. We ask for your help in this. Amen. Well, uh, not too long ago, I was in the, in the city, 
and uh, it was late, and I was on my way home, and um, I was mistaken for being someone I wasn't. Um, a guy kind of stumbled up to me, it was, he was pretty drunk, and he goes, um, hey, hey, Ed, mate, it's Ed, hey, Ed, Ed, how you doing? Um, now, this guy, Vision Blurred, had mistaken me for uh, Ed Sheeran, the, uh, the pop star, and it was dark, um, and I told the guy, sorry, mate, um, I'm not Ed, and he's like, nah, nah, you are. I was like, sure, mate, um, have a good evening, and then kind of moved on. Um, but there was one ginger who was going around, and he was saying that he was Ed Sheeran. Last year, a story went viral of, uh, of a guy claiming to be Ed Sheeran, um, and he was playing in churches in the U.S. Um, they apparently paid this imposter $35 and gave him a sandwich. Um, here's a photo of the guy. Hopefully, it pops up. There he is. Apparently, the pastors just thought that Ed Sheeran had fallen on hard times. Now, interestingly, um, the Today Show, the Australian Today Show, um, took this story of this guy, uh, and they did a segment on it. Now, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but um, this was a fake story that was put on by this, this Facebook page, Portsmouth, Ohio official, and it was meant to be this obvious, like, funny story, um, and this, but this ridiculous imposter asking for, like, nothing, like a sandwich. <laughs> and yet this major news like media outlet, fell for it. Um, I know you wanted it to be true. I did as well, so I'm sorry to disappoint. But we are living in this age. Um, we can take him down now. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> oh, but we are living in, a, in an age where truth and fake news are prolific. And as a culture, we've been confronted with the idea of authenticity. There's fake news out there, uh, but there's also a call for us to be authentic ourselves and not to put on something else and be fake. There's particular reflection on how our actions actually expose what we believe and value. That amongst the idea of truth uh, it, it lies the fact that our actions will expose us and what we believe to be true. So we can say we are one thing, but our actions will really expose us. And the question for us today is how do we live authentically as followers of Jesus in the world and not as imposters? You know, Christians are in the spotlight with this, and more and more Christians are being called out for saying one thing and being another. But it is something that raises the question, if our actions aren't like Christ's, do we truly value and believe in what he's done? This is a question that Christians have been challenged of since Jesus' first disciples. And it's one that the writer John is concerned about here. Here in our passage, John starts off with an encouragement, but it's also a serious rebuke. Look at what he says. It'll pop up. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. John says, how we live in obedience to Jesus will expose how authentic our relationship with him is. And it's an important question um, that sits in the issue of the early church, as Jacob was saying, um, an issue that they were facing. The writer John, again, he's one of Jesus' disciples who had seen and been with Jesus in the flesh. He's writing 
to argue against heretics, false teachers at the time. There were these false teachers who were trying to convince the early church that Jesus wasn't in fact fully divine and that he wasn't fully God. And these heretics were also claiming that they had some superior enlightenment that meant that they were incapable of sinning and that how they lived was of no consequence. Now, John doesn't want any of that um, influencing the church, and he's fully aware of the seriousness of this claim. And so he's calling out these false teachers who are apostles of the gospel by highlighting that if you truly know Jesus, you will in fact be obedient to him. As he goes on to say in the next sentence, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. John says, no, 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 you are, you are lying and an imposter if you say you follow Jesus and yet live out nothing of what he said. And this is meant to trigger these early Christians. And I wonder if it triggers you too. Do these words struck a chord with you? Do, do you get a little anxious of saying you follow Jesus and yet you look at your life and you think it's not filled with the actions of Jesus? And I wonder if you think and ponder on that, if you feel now kind of a bit uncertain about your faith when you reflect on it. I remember years ago, uh, back in high school, a couple of Christian friends and I, I think Jacob may have been there as well, and we were, we were in a room and we were talking about um, how do we know we are saved? Um, can you fall away? And the, and the chaplain actually walked by and we shouted out and we we're like, hey, Bodes, um, how do we know we're saved? Uh, can Christians fall away? And without skipping a beat, and he said this like drive-by comment, he said, just don't. He just kind of kept on going. <laughs> he said, just don't. And this has stuck with me to this day because it was this simple but profound statement. Just don't fall away. Keep on living for Jesus. Keep living out his commandments. Keep on one step at a time. You know, sometimes we overcomplicate the Christian life and we try and do the math of, you know, well, if I, if I sin, if I multiply that, and I just subtract this kind of thing and then do this over here and divide by whatever, maybe I'm a Christian, maybe I'm not. But the truth is simple. And John, as John says in now sentence five, it'll come up, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If you believe Jesus, if you believe in his death and resurrection, that it has wiped away your sin, and you're brought new life, you can have confidence of this identity by just continuing to do what he said. Walk in the same way in which he walked. Be like Jesus. Love God and his ways. Now, this isn't saying you must now live perfectly. That's impossible. John is, is fully aware of our imperfections. He's not saying you won't sin. No, no, I, I, a few sentences before, he says, if you do sin, you've got Jesus as your advocate. He's taken away your sin. So he's not calling us to perfection, but he's calling us now to love and imitate Jesus. And that imitation will bring in an authenticity in your faith. Now, of course, imitation doesn't mean that you are that person. I know this fully well. 
one of my favorite artists is Justin Timberlake. Um, now, I try to sing like him, um, but I'll never have his tone or his range or his pizzazz, you know. But I'll, tr I'll, I'll try. If Cry My River comes on, like Cry My River, like, I'll sing it. Don't you worry. I'll also try and dance like him as well. Mel Dunn, uh, a member here, she runs local dance co in this building, and it's one time she had a JT night, and... Um, and I came along, and you, you know, we're dancing to one of JT's songs, like him. And, um, and I, look, I, I, I tried, I stumbled, I failed, um, but I kept on going. You kind of be like, oh, yeah, like I, I guess I see a little bit of, of JT in that. But in comparison, if you look at Mel and how she danced, you're like, well, yeah, like she's dancing a lot like JT. <laughs> she's very good. But here's the thing. Neither of us, with our range of skill level, will ever truly be like Justin Timberlake. You can, it's imitation. And the encouragement here with this warning is that wherever you are in your Christian walk, whether you've just become a Christian, or whether you've been doing this walk for 40 years, that we are just to continue to walk like Christ. To love God with all your heart. To love His ways and His commandments. To love to learn them by reading the Bible for yourself daily. And see what he's asking you to do in, in following him. To be people who are gentle, who are kind, not given to greed. Loving those who hate you, not slandering. Be patient, self-controlled, generous. But one of the main points John points out to these, these people, the early church, uh, and what he wants them to see in being authentic imitators of Jesus is to be resolved to love God over the world. That if you do follow his ways and imitate him, your life should look different from those who don't follow Jesus. As we consider you know, the, the joy of eternity before us with God. And so have a read with me now in this, in this next section in sentence 15. John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh... And the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John says, what the world offers is a fleeting and incorrect way of living against what God designed. And this follows the, the concept of light and darkness that John started in, in chapter 1 that Jacob talked about last week. That to love the world is to love darkness. And if that's the case in your life, God's light, love might not be in you. It's pretty heavy. Um, and you might be a little confused. If you're anything like me, you, you read this and you go, but dang, like, I like a lot of stuff in this world. There's a lot of beauty in isn't that from God? I kind of like hanging out with my friends, like, I, I love watching Messi play football. I love films that stir me. I love going on adventures. Is God calling me to give all these things up? What does it mean to not love the world? Well, when John is referring to the world, he sometimes means a few different things. In the Gospel of John, when he talks about the world, he sometimes means kind of just the universe. And at other times, he means like life on earth. 
And uh, other times, uh, here, he's, he's, he's carrying on this concept of light and darkness. And when he means the world, it's referring to, as, as one theologian puts it, the life of human society organized under the power of evil. That is, the, the systems of beliefs and habits and actions and, and patterns of sin as a people or culture that are of evil rather than God. It's human society turning our, our backs to God's way, putting our blinders on, heads down, and disregarding him. And John goes on to show like, how, how we are to discern what it is to love the world in the following sentence. He says this, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The desire of the flesh and of eyes refer to the, the sinful desires of, of what we don't have, we see, and what we want. The pride of life here refers to the pride and ego and what we do have. It makes us proud of ourselves. And here, John, he's describing base sinful desire that isn't from God, and it runs the world. These desires both come from us and make their way into us through the fabric of our cultural thinking. And so the world says, you must be the most important person in your world. And you must be all that you are and you want to be. And your wants and your needs are first. So for example, the world says, you must desire to be wealthy in order to be happy. And that the more stuff that you have, the more content you'll be. The world says, you must desire to be married in order to be truly fulfilled. And that if you're not, and you're not having sex, that you are somewhat lesser than others. The world says that you must be achieving fame or a success in your career and that that will satisfy you. That unless you have an impressive job and are nailing it, you've failed. The world says you are owed everything that you desire and nothing should get in the way of your desire. And it's a problematic way of thinking, isn't it? If you have everyone out there to achieve their own personal agenda and life goal, that's going to, at times, come into conflict with other people. There will be opposition. Your agenda will conflict with someone else's, and we see the devastation of this type of sin everywhere. Worldly desire will bring pain and, and conflict. We see it in broken relationships where a spouse neglects their family in the pursuit of wealth and recognition. We see countries consumed by greed and power neglecting and inflicting poverty upon their own people. We see websites that fuel sex trafficking and are filled with the abuse of women and men to satisfy the desires of, of sinful lust. We see a, world, uh, a world's leader whose ego resorts to using power to corrupt and distort and delude a, a group of people in outrageous actions as we've seen this week in the US. The ways of the world on a large or, or small scale offer pain, they offer brokenness and emptiness, and yet we continue to let it fill our hearts. And if you are feeling kind of the weight of this, if you're feeling the brokenness of the world, if you're feeling lackluster or little joy in your love for God, it could be that the love of the world is choking out your love of God. 
that you've let the world's desire take, so, taking over. It's like this. Imagine, imagine your heart is like a water fountain. Um, kind of think like maybe like Trevi Fountain in Italy or something cool. Um, it's a fountain that's meant to burst with like crystal clear water that shimmers in the light and, and it bursts out with the, with the love of God that passerbyers would look and go like, whoa, how cool is that fountain? I want to drink from that water. And this fountain's water supply is sourced endlessly from God and it is satisfied. That should be our hearts. And yet if we live for this world, our fountain becomes empty. It's as if we've turned off the water supply and we start just letting things filter in. And you've probably seen a fountain like this before. It's manky. It's, it turns green. It's, it gets slimy. It turns into like a bin for like Macca's cups and, and the drain becomes filled and it, and, it, and it gets stuck and eventually the fountain no longer works. It's as if these fountains become thirsty with this need for clean water. Friends, we can't let our hearts become like this. Living for this world will bring brokenness and we will miss the eternal supply of water from God, the only supply that will truly satisfy our hearts. And also as John goes on, he says, living for this world is futile because it's fading. Have a look at sentence 17. He says, the world is passing by along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so to combat worldly living, the first step is, well, is to know that the age of light has arrived and the present age is doomed. That this world will fade, but eternity awaits. And my favorite poem, Ozymandias, I think captures this, this thought. Um, it'll pop up. Uh, Ozymandias, this is the poem, Ozymandias. It's very brief. It says, I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frowned and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold demand. Till that its sculptor, well those passages read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear, My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty in despair. But nothing besides remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. The image here is of this king that has built this huge monument to his name, dedicated to himself. And what remains? Well, all this power that he's built up, and it has amounted to nothing in time. We'll be authentic followers of Jesus if we remember that this world and its desires are fleeting and that God's will and those who do it are eternal. A part of God's will and his commandments is to love not only our brothers and sisters here, but those around us who are in darkness, whose fountains are empty and are thirsting for God's water. This sinful world we live in, ruled by Satan, is at the same time the object of God's love and his saving grace. His compassion extends to us that we might be saved and drink from his water. As John says in his gospel account, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might, should not perish, 
but have eternal life. And in chapter 4, God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is good news. And it's from this good news that our lives are to be different, that our identity changes. We'll be people in the world, but not of it. See, Jesus, he was sent into the world, but he certainly wasn't of it. Satan kind of threw everything at him, but he resisted the desires of the world. And where to imitate Jesus in that? Here's the thing. We, we can't serve two masters. We can't live for the world and God. If we try, we'll just live in an in, inauthentic life. We'll continue as imposter Christians. So just as it was for Jesus, at times, loving God over the world will make you feel like you're swimming against the current. And as a terrible swimmer myself, like, that's not fun. There will be times where living for God will challenge our ethics and put us in opposition to others. Our family and our friends may consider us idiots for loving God over the world. I remember when I first told my parents that I, I gave money to church, um, they thought me an absolute idiot. If we live in obedience to Jesus, we will feel like outsiders in this world. And so when questions come up about the Bible's response to sex, marriage, and gender, this will most likely make us feel like an outer. You know, sometimes I feel like um, I can be drawn into just being agreeable um, or kind of just sitting on the fence and, uh, with a topic just to kind of go with the flow and, and not be seen as too narky. Um, but it isn't loving God first. You know, if we're with colleagues or friends and family and a topic comes up that we know is controversial, can I encourage us that this year, in 2021, that we be resolved to, to almost take a hit for the gospel? It's so much easier to just go with the flow and give some vague answer other than that we know to be the truth. And we may do this because we don't want to be known as the super like, religious person in the workplace or family. Um, and sometimes that, that comes from this perspective of, well, like, I'm trying to reach these people. I'm trying to love them, and so I don't want to be too full on too quickly. Um, and then, look, there's some wisdom in that, but at least in my experience, it isn't often fruitful. It certainly isn't fruitful in God's calling for obedience and truth. So the encouragement today is to be resolved to stand firm, imitate Jesus, and live for the forever. And being authentic followers of Jesus will also shape what we take in and what we consume from the world. So can I encourage us to consider what we're consuming in media and how much of it? There are you know, TV shows on, on Netflix and Stan or whatever we're watching things on that are probably unhelpful to watch and for you may trigger those desires of the flesh. And so it might be a good point in the year to kind of put a check on what you're viewing. And if the amount of what you're viewing is, is helpful for us for living for the forever, or if it's just draining us and making us feel dry. If you're consumed with porn at the moment, it's only going to continue to fuel disobedience to God and drain you of joy. At the start of this year, let's be, be resolved to, to end that. 
and take a stand by confessing maybe to a brother or sister in Christ. You may need to delete things that are making you more worldly and materialistic. If you're finding that Instagram is causing you to be consumed with you know, your image or materialism, maybe it's time to just take a break and reflect. If we're taking pride in our wealth by checking our growth all the time and just kind of buying thing after thing, and um, can I can ask, like, do you consider that um, you review your budget or you create one if you don't have one? And just take stock of what you're spending money on. Is it clothes, gadgets, always eating out, whatever? You know, different seasons will require different spending habits, but really assess your motivations. I've just moved into a new place and I felt this pool just buy and buy and buy. But before we do buy something, I encourage us to just to pause and give a moment to reflect. Ask, genuinely ask the Spirit to convict you that is this something that you need or is it something of a desire for, for another worldly possession? I've honestly found that asking God to help me assess my heart when buying things is the best approach, and I have received joy in listening to Him. And so instead of growing possessions, why not ask God to help make 2021 your most generous year ever? That's very possible. Being in the world but not of it will also allow us to now see God's gift to us differently. That whatever possessions that we have received from God, that we can turn and praise and thank Him and perhaps give away some of it. And instead of saying, look what I've achieved, we can be humble. And we can be less precious about our stuff. Saying, my God has been so kind to me. And all these things, they pale in comparison to what is to come. Instead of obsessing over a relationship and desiring what we don't have, we can say, God has given me all in an internal, eternal relationship with Him. Being in the world but not of it will allow us to hold things loosely and instead we will bring about an honor for God's gifts and greater perspective on the fleeting nature of life. And this will bring about joy. So here's the thing. 2021, it's going to be much like 2020. And that every day, Jesus is going to be king. And every single day, he asks his followers to live authentically for him. And every single day is one step closer to eternity. And every single day, Satan is going to try and persuade us all here to live for the now. But let's step into this year and pray as the psalmist does. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing upon earth that I desire besides you. So may God be the focus of our heart's desire first in all things. Let's pray that this would bring truth in our lives. Pray with me. Father, we thank you first and foremost for sending Jesus into this world. That you saw and had compassion over the people of this world, your creation. And even though we've turned our backs and lived for things that aren't of you, that you had deep love and that you gave us Jesus. Thank you that now that in him we have a new identity. 
that we have new joy, new found water, that our thirst can be quenched by you. Lord, help us to not be distracted or think other. Help us to not think that this world offers, offers us more than you do. Lord, give us strength, conviction, passion, and deep love for you and to live for your ways. And may you bless this and bring fruitful joy in our lives. We pray this all in your son's mighty name. Amen.